1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of fight back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. It's the latest food fight among researchers leading to more confusion about what you should and should not eat for your health. For years, we've been told that red meat, especially processed red meat, is bad, and we should cut way back. Now a big international study led by Canadian scientists is calling that into question. Their conclusion is that eating less red meat and processed meats will have little impact on reducing your risk of heart disease, cancer, and other diseases that have been linked to these foods. Libby was joined by nutritionist and author Rose Reisman, and Dr. David Jenkins, nutrition scientist at the University of Toronto, and. A staff physician at Saint Michael's Hospital.
2: I think that this study is fine. I think that the authors are very prestigious, especially Gord Guyton, uh, who is one of one of Canada's uh, and one of the world's leading experts in assessing data. Okay, but I disagree with the conclusion. Uh, let's be clear: the data show fifteen to twenty percent risk reductions for taking a dietary pan with less red meat and processed meat. That's what they show. They show 15 to 20% reductions. Now, that's not a lot. And you may not be one of those 15%. You may be one of the 75 or 80% who get away with it. But nevertheless, I mean, if you say that that's what you're finding and then you say that it's weak, I don't mind. I don't mind if it's weak evidence or not. I think that that is enough of a warning for us to keep ourselves very much aware of the difficulties.
3: Rose Reisman, what do you make of this?
4: Um, You know, at first when I read it I went, oh no. At first round said sensational news is like CNN breaking news. And I get concerned because when you read through it very carefully, and I agree with David, the quality of the evidence they say is very low. I mean think about it, when you ask people questions Do you eat a lot of red meat? No, not that much. Do you do you eat healthy? Yeah, most of the time. You know, these are the kind of answers I believe people are giving. I don't think that the evidence is that strong. Um, I think that we're also um, opening up the floodgates for people that already love meat. I was out for dinner last night with a couple, and they sat down, they ordered steak. I said, "Oh, I didn't." They said, "It's okay to eat this now." So I'm afraid of what I'm afraid of what it does. People and especially in the hands of people that already eat meat and processed meat, there is no way that you can tell me. And David, I think you'll agree that if you eat tons of processed, salty, nitrate meats, that that does not increase your. your, It could increase your high, your blood pressure, the salt intake. You can't just say.
3: Absolutely I I
2: couldn't agree with you more.
3: When you talk to people who do admit to having, you know, more red meat, the question is, are they more likely to have other problematic things in their diet? Like, do they have the burger with fries? Do they drink maybe too much alcohol? Uh, stuff like that.
4: I, I'm, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to say a thousand percent, because the group I was with this morning, I was asking people in my office, the ones that are already moderate eaters, where we talk about, you know, everything in moderation, they just went, oh, okay, that's interesting. That It didn't really phase them. But for people already that eat a lot of processed foods, that eat a lot of junk, a lot of sugar, a lot of, you know, um, uh, high glycemic carbs, this is a ticket like, wow, I can, I can get into this too. And, I, you know, if, if you notice nowhere in the study do they say that it's healthy nutritionally, nor do they say um, increase your servings, they're just saying do what you're doing now. They so s- for
3: the moderate person, I agree. Dr. David Jenkins, what would you like to leave us with on this?
2: Well, I'd like to leave you with an environmental thought, Um, probably in terms of uh, of the environment um, and our children's judgment of us in the future will be if we've done everything we can to leave them with a decent environment. And quite honestly, even if if beef is only 14 percent of the greenhouse gas emission, if we can get that down, we will have done something good for the future. And I think that's what we're going to be judged on. I think the children of the future are going to judge us on how humane we are in the way we treat our animals. They're going to judge us on how, what sort of environment we leave them with. So quite honestly, if that means changing our diets a bit, we better do it.
4: Okay, and Rose Reisman? Um, I agree with David completely on the environmental and humane um, part. What I'd like to say is Canada's guideline food guide, came out with a new guideline this year, and and people don't mention it, and I think it is such a strong statement on the direction we should be going, which is a more plant-based diet. Um, not an emphasis, and and no more categories of beef, milk, poultry. Uh, They list it as protein, but they really emphasize more plant-based for health reasons and environmental and humane reasons. So I I urge people to go back and don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Go back and look at that food guide. It's online everywhere and, and, and look to see how you're really eating compared to that
1: nutritionist and author Rose Reisman, and Dr. David Jenkins, nutrition scientist at the University of Toronto and a staff physician at St. Michael's Hospital. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Tuesday was National Seniors Day and a good time to talk about retirement savings. There are some unsettling numbers in a new poll from BDO Canada, which finds 32 percent of people over 55 have no retirement savings and 34 percent are not on track to save enough for retirement. In fact, the number of Canadians not prepared for retirement has increased since last year. Libby spoke about the trend with Keith Emery, Director of Operations at Credit Canada Debt Solutions and Doug Jones, President BDO Canada Limited.
5: For a number of years now, we've been trying to talk about getting people on budgets and um, addressing their long-term financial goals. So as you saw retirement savings rates decreasing, uh, that is a concern to us. So I'm not sure it was, I'd say it was surprising, but it was definitely a concern and something we'd like to get people to address. As you enter into retirement, if you drop to a, a lower Uh, retirement income funded by company pension plans, CPP, or your personal savings, your income generally declines. So the goal, of course, is to enter retirement with as little debt as possible.
3: Keith Emery, when you start going through a budget uh, with people who are in a bit of trouble financially, what do you find is, say, the low-hanging fruit, if there is any. What do you find that people are able to cut or maybe aren't aware they're even spending? What are those kinds of things?
6: Uh, that's, I have to admit, when it comes to seniors on limited budget, that is a tricky question, um, because meeting with some of the seniors that I've seen, when you look at the, the budgets that they have and the way that they, they live, it, it's pretty hard to think of how they could be any more frugal but nonetheless, um, there is opportunities in some cases to try to reduce some of the discretionary spending. One area that, uh, that can make a pretty big difference in your budget is grocery spending. Mm. Um, some people treat it as sort of a fixed expense. Um, but in reality, there's, you can make a lot of different decisions when you go to the grocery store. Um, so some seniors, I think, are, exceptionally good at reducing these expenses. You know, they're coupon cutters, they're always looking for deals. Where you choose to shop can make a big difference. Um, In terms of some of the other fixed expenses, you know, I'm always afraid to send or to hand out suggestions in some cases because it may seem, I don't know if it's patronizing is the word for it, but uh, more radical solutions could be sharing living expenses. In some cases, we see some seniors moving back in with children to try to reduce their their living costs or downsizing. Um, So those are some other areas that you can focus on to try to find some savings in your budget. We do have a record debt-to-income ratio in Canada. That is at all demographics. The
5: more debt you have, the more interest uh, expenses you have. With the ever-increasing cost of living and wage is not really keeping on par with the growth in costs, the downward pressure on something in the budget has to be eliminated and it becomes retirement savings. I do see the situation getting worse unless people start really trying to focus on, as Keith pointed out before, as you go into your budget, what's discretionary, what's non-discretionary, where could I make some adjustments in order to make this work?
6: You know, we'd like to see a change in and cultural attitudes around money um, is, you know potentially one thing that's got to happen and unfortunately maybe the catalyst for that is that things have to get bad I wish it wasn't that way I mean I kinda of look at inside my workplace because we all deal with it on a day to day basis seeing how people live there's sort of this culture um, around money that exists inside the workplace where everybody just by nature is very very conscientious of what they spend, and they're all have a bit of an allergic reaction to debt. Um, I know that there are circumstances that make that difficult sometimes, but I would like to see, in general people be very suspect of taking on high interest debt and and just maybe readjust um, some of their expectations around uh, around um, what they can and can't afford.
1: Keith Emery, Director of Operations at Credit Canada Debt Solutions, and Doug Jones, President, BDO Canada Limited. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Despite the ongoing tensions between Canada and China, the flag of China has been allowed to fly outside Toronto City Hall. It was raised in a ceremony this past Monday with a few dozen protesters in attendance demonstrating against the move. Toronto Mayor John Tory did not attend. He boycotted the flag raising. A statement from his director of communications says the mayor is hopeful a resolution will be found to a number of issues between Canada and China. It's important to note the city did not raise the flag. The city's website says the city of Toronto will allow on courtesy flagpoles flags of nations recognized by the Federal Department of Global Affairs on a national day or anniversary of a special occasion. And in this case, it's the 70th anniversary of the People's Republic of China. Some on social media are saying the mayor should have cancelled the China flag raising while Canadians are being detained there during questionable circumstances. While filling in for Libby's Snymer, I was joined by Chuck Kwan with the Toronto Association for Democracy in China to discuss.
7: Watching yeah. what happened in Hong Kong mm-hmm. and indirectly, of course, what's been happening to the uh, in the weaker community in northwestern China, where a million people are now incarcerated into what they call re-education camps. So, yeah, all these news coming from China uh, doesn't bode well. And I certainly want to say that uh, I believe John Tory's uh, uh, response to the flag uh, raising is a little bit too timid.
1: How much of an assault is this on us as a nation allowing this flag to be raised in the biggest city in the nation?
7: Well, it's a slap in the face. Uh, We have two Canadians who are victims of retaliation by China over an act that is lawful and within the extradition treaty that we have uh, with the Americans. So uh, I don't see the point. Of of even you know giving China that courtesy, uh, raising a, a flag, not to mention a lot of people will be very upset mm-hmm. uh, because this is the 70th, 70th anniversary of the communist regime, and certainly a lot of people uh, might see that as also a uh, uh, giving us giving a blessing to something that we do not condone.
1: Chuck, can you help us understand uh, who is behind the raising of this flag, which was approved by city staff in order for it to happen this morning?
7: I believe uh, if this is not a city initiative, it, then certainly there are groups of uh, people, perhaps city councilors, uh, perhaps uh, community groups, uh, who are uh, for China, uh, who are pushing behind the scene. Uh, to have uh, this flag raised. Now, certainly, um, I understand that um, a lot of times city council would raise a flag because it honors uh, part of the immigrant community that came from that country, like Filipinos, uh, Portuguese, uh, or other things. But certainly, um, given the situation, a very, very tense situation, especially with two Canadians in, in life da- life uh, danger right now, uh, we should think twice about giving the authority. Uh, the, re- the way I read it is that uh, basically the city has to give approval. Uh, so yes. it, it would be up to the city staff to say, no, we cannot raise a flag no matter how much lobbying uh, the other side might have.
1: Right, so um, it makes you wonder if it was more just of a rubber stamp kind of okay, it fits the criteria, but not a full awareness of the tensions between Canada and China.
7: Uh, it could be f- not the full awareness, but more likely is uh, pressure groups mm-hmm. who are, uh, as we know, um, China has right now exerted quite a amount of undue influence in in Canadian politics uh, with running pro-China candidates, uh, openly, uh, at this federal election. And of course in the past at municipal as well as, uh, provincial elections. So it would not be surprise to me if, uh, there are forces behind, uh, mm. I would not say directly linked to the Chinese council, but certainly there are a lot of indirect fingers pointing at the Chinese council saying, um, you know, lobbying for for the city uh, for many years now to, to at least, you know, show a demonstration of, of goodwill by by raising the China flag, and I, I certainly have no problem in the past. Uh, in the, even last year, I think John Tory did raise the uh, flag with the Chinese consulate general. However, uh, given what's happening for the past twelve months, uh, and given the fact that we have two Canadians who are incarcerated uh, almost in a torturous state. Yes. Uh, we should think twice about allowing a country like China to, uh, or, or allowing us to honour the uh, China uh, by raising a flag at this National Day.
1: Chuck Kwan with the Toronto Association for Democracy in China. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. It was a lively conversation on Fight Back this past Tuesday with our strategy panel weighing in on a new Angus Reid survey of the 67 closest riding races in the 2015 election. Overall, the Liberals won those with a nine-point advantage. At this point, the Conservatives are in the lead of voter intentions in those ridings by 6%. Joining Libby to discuss, Charles Byrd, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto Karen Stints, former city councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, and John Capovianco, senior vice president and senior partner, Fleischman Hillard High
8: Road. I've always said that there's going to be a lingering effect on the campaign that at some point is going to, is going to really take off. And there's two more milestones yet to go. One is the debates are going to happen in the next week or two. Uh, and the other one is Thanksgiving weekend. Where Long weekends and campaigns are actually quite pivotal in some cases because people and families get together and they talk about issues. And they argue. And they argue. But we've seen a lot of cases uh, where after a long weekend in a campaign, polls start to – people start to formulate their opinions and start to make decisions and, and it affects the polling down the road.
3: Karen, what do you make
9: of uh, that specific look at the close writings from last time? Well, you know, I think that, um, you know, heading into the 2015 election, I think everyone thought it was Stephen Harper's to lose. And many conservatives were surprised that he lost it. So I'm not, it's not surprising that those uh, 67 or so ridings were so close and were so contested. Um, it's interesting to hear that the leaders are only coming to the areas where there, there's a tight race. Uh, as it was, Andrew Shear was out at Variety Village yesterday. So we'll see how tight the race is in Scarborough Southwest. Uh, if Justin Trudeau comes, then we'll know it's a tight race. <laughs> so, but, um, I do agree with John, um, that, I think this Thanksgiving weekend will be a critical point. Sometimes elections are already decided before the long weekend, and then it it, it becomes a non-event. But I think this election, there's still a lot of volatility. Charles?
10: Well, I I bumped into John yesterday, and we had a great chat about what is exactly going on in this campaign? Because I mean, over the last two and a half months, if you sort of look at the aggregate polling, um, it has been flat. I mean, the two main parties have been pretty much deadlocked within statistical error margin of error. Um, and so we talked about a lot of different factors. And when I got home last night, I was telling my wife about this great conversation I'd had with John about what's really going on in the election. And my wife said, uh, "No one cares. No one knows what's happening." <laughs> Happening. Canadians just haven't tuned in. I mean, that and that is a reality of of this campaign. And the other thing is that change just does not appear to be a driving force. And, you know, that was obviously getting rid of Stephen Harper was one of the, the driving forces of the twenty fifteen campaign. That sentiment really doesn't exist this time around.
3: John, what do we look at for the coming week? A week yesterday uh, is the first big debate.
8: Yeah, so I think the debates are going to be key. It's the first ones that the prime minister is going to be part of. And I think all of the leaders, including Maxime Bernier, has been invited to the uh, to two set, the, the two um, uh, commissioned approved uh, debates. But that's going to be a milestone for sure. I think Canadians will, will, will be tapping into that as well. Uh, and then I think Thanksgiving weekend, right after that, I think it'll be two key points to see where this campaign breaks.
9: Okay, Kara? Yeah, I think the leader debates are always one that we watch, but it's really no one knocks it out of the park at a leader's debate. It's really whether they make a big error. And so my guess is that they will all do fine and it really won't move the needle one way or the other. I think the big thing that is worth paying attention to is if climate change does continue to become a major rallying cry for Canadians, how does that translate to the green vote? What happens to the NDP? And then where do those votes get siphoned from? I think that will be interesting to watch. Okay, Charles?
10: Yeah, I think the dynamic around climate change is really if it becomes a defining issue among those who are determined to vote for the next government, be it liberal or conservative. And, yeah, if they get does, out there. and if it does become a defining issue in that regard, then Justin Trudeau will do extremely well. Um, if, with regards to the debates, um, I mean, it's going to be a crowded house on all three nights. I mean, you've got five participants in the English debate. You've got six in the in the Quebec debates, courtesy of the, the Bloc Québécois leader, who's someone to be watched.
1: Charles Byrd, managing principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group. Karen Stints, former city councillor and current CEO of Varietyville. Village and John Capabianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. I'm Jane Brown. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Bob in Toronto phoned to offer his analysis on what's happening with the current federal election and what he expects to be the outcome.
7: We have um... Sort of a non issue in the election. I think a lot of people are sort of blase about the whole thing. I think unfortunately we are falling into exactly what's happened to most Western countries. We're splitting down the middle. Those who are uh, die hard liberal supporters remain that. Those who are die hard conservative supporters remain that. And what we're ending up with is, is a very interesting kind of a democracy. Quebec and Ontario are basically the strong areas for the Liberals. And those people who think that Justin walks on water will vote for him. Those people who can't stand him won't. But those two provinces are going to determine the election.
1: Diane in Toronto phoned to say she's healthy and enjoys moderate amounts of red meat.
4: I'm not a big red meat eater, but I do eat it. I, I do enjoy it occasionally. And I just have, I feel I have a well-balanced diet. So I don't think having a roast beef sandwich or a steak every now and then is going to hurt me. Um, I mostly stick to chicken or fish. And I'm a healthy seven-year-old.
1: Neil in Toronto called to offer his opinion about the foods we choose to eat as Canadians.
6: This is a peer-reviewed study. Obviously, the data is sound. Um, If a study were to come out in the opposite and shown that, you know, the reverse effects... I'm sure that the people would be fine with the study. I just,
5: I just don't understand how the criteria, when you, when you're looking at a peer reviewed study, how you can say one is good and one is not good just because of your position. You know, I don't understand that.
0: And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Barry in North York, who phoned to say it's important to make climate change a big issue after the upcoming election.
6: I was at the
5: uh, the climate strike on Friday and I was overwhelmed and just by joy and hope that there is hope for the environment But as I was chanting, um, contact your MP and tell them what you need. After this election is over, no matter who gets in, contact your MP and tell them, we want action and we want it now because otherwise they'll do pretty well kind of what they've been doing. But we need to let them know we need action now. We've got to do something about the environment. Otherwise, no matter what happens, we are going to be in a heck of a lot of trouble.
1: I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next week for a roundup of The Best of Fight Back.
0: The Best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeb Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.